Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. tell the story, right? I love to tell the story. And we've talked about several different very important stories. The first one we talked about was the gospel story, the story of Jesus. And I offered up to you a three-part way of thinking about how to tell the Jesus story, that Jesus grants power, gifts grace, and loves unconditionally. Then we talked about the Bible. How do you tell the Bible story? How do you encapsulate 66 different books in a quick story? Well, to paint a very broad, overarching brushstroke, we talked about that God creates, God sustains, God redeems, God sanctifies, to use that very Wesleyan term, but through it all, God abides. That the message of the Bible is that God abides with us, never abandoning us, never forsaking us, but choosing time and time again to be with God's creation, God's people. And then last week we talked about the church. What is the story of the church? Well, that in itself is a story that the church doesn't agree on. But perhaps that the story we need to tell is not who we have been, but who we need the world to allow us to be. That we need to be a people that recognize that the church has not been perfect. The church, because it is made up of sinners, has made mistakes. That it has hurt people, that people have been pushed out, they have been cast aside, they have been barred from entering in, and that maybe we need to be a people whose story is about, please allow us to have another chance. Give us another chance. Grant us grace that we might show you God's grace in our midst. And perhaps that's the story we should be telling. Well, today we're going to talk about loving to tell your own story. That's not an easy story to tell either, is it? Most of us don't really want to think about our story, right? You're going to live your life, and one day you will pass from this life, and you will worry about someone else getting to tell your story, right? That's what happens at funerals. Someone is going to tell your story. Get to know your clergy. They're going to tell your story, right? They're going to tell your story. And I tell people all the time that, you know, it's not necessarily a clergy person, but you should have somebody who is emotionally attached to you that can tell your story. Somebody needs to tell your story, right? That is literally the last thing that we do in this world, right? We have somebody tell our story. We try to preempt that by having an obituary, right? That's all of your facts and figures, right? This is when you were born. This is where you went to school. These are the organizations that you were a part of. I have here my mother's father, my grandfather's obituary. He wrote it himself. Yeah, dad remembers. Thanks, dad. So here is what my grandfather decided was important. This is the story he wanted to tell. Benny J. Sessions, 82, of the 2600 block of Livesey Drive in Deep Creek, section of Chesapeake, passed away on Monday, March 12, 2007. He left that part blank. We filled that in. Mr. Sessions was born in Worthen, Georgia, and attended grammar school and high school in Dublin, Georgia. He was the son of the late Nell I. Anson and Joseph W. Sessions. He was also preceded by a daughter, Valerie Jones. Mr. Sessions served in the Marine Corps during World War II from 1943 to 1946. He spent 13 months in the South Pacific on the islands of Guadalcanal, New Hebrides, New Chalcedonia, and the bloody Battle of Peleliu. 
the bloody battle of Peleliu. He wrote that. Okay, let's pause for a minute and go backwards. He was only in the Marines for three years. My whole life has been a lie. I thought that man was a lifer. You would have thought he was a lifer. The Marines, oh, all the Marines, love the Marines. It's all about the Marines. Three years. I've done more time with Jesus than that. And I'm like, I cannot believe this. I was like, I feel so lied to. I cannot believe that this is what it was. And then I kept reading it and I kept going back and I was like, said to my sister, three years, three years. And she's like, three years? I was like, the whole life, the whole narrative was a lie. Was a lie. Don't live a lie. Have a story. Tell your story. You know what? I got to hand it to him. He waited until he was dead to tell the story. Waited until he was dead. Don't be that person. Tell your story. Tell your story because it's important. Tell your story because God tells you to tell your story. Tell your story because we want to hear your story. And then there are people that don't want to hear your story that need to hear your story. right? Tell your story because God has given you something. Experiences, emotions, events, redemption, grace, forgiveness, love. God has given you these gifts, and God doesn't want you to keep it all on the inside and never tell. Jesus tells the man that he heals, go and proclaim what the Lord has done for you. Go and tell. Tell them. Now let's go back a little bit to that story, right? The story that I read to our two young men is the story that immediately precedes this one. Jesus is already in a great mood. You interrupted his nap, right? My mother used to work the night shift in the ER at Arlington Hospital. Don't interrupt the nap. We knew this growing up. Somebody called, be like, I got to talk to your mom. And I'd be like, nope, it's nap time. Can't talk to mom. When she wakes up, you can talk to mom. We don't interrupt nap time. That's known as wrath of God mode. We don't do that. So in this case, he was sleeping, the disciples got scared, we're going to die on this ship, we're not going to make it to the other side, and they wake Jesus up, and he's like, seriously, you woke me up for this. Be calm, right? And then he fixes it. Then we get to this story. This story is even more unbelievable than the other one. This story has Jesus landing in an area that is full of Gentiles. There's not Jews here. This is not a Jewish settlement. This is not a Jewish countryside, a Jewish city. These are not his people as far as Judaism is concerned. These are Gentiles. The swine herd was the first clue. Jews didn't keep pigs. Pigs are not kosher. They are not clean. They are a mess. They are for Virginia and Smithfield. They are not for Gerasenes, right? They are not. And so what we end up finding is that Jesus is now in the kind of this uncharted territory. You have the Jewish Messiah who has shown up with 12 other Jewish guys in a land and a place where everything is literally unclean. And who meets them? The welcoming committee is somebody who is possessed by a demon. Who's not wearing clothes? Did you catch that one? This is another one of the stories we don't act out in vacation Bible school. Who wants to be the naked crazy guy? We don't do that. And he's part of a culture where back then you covered your bits and pieces. You didn't go out and push the lines of nudity. You covered yourself. So the fact that he's naked tells you that something's wrong. And notice he can't even live with his family and his people and his neighbors and his community. He's been living in a cemetery. How tragic is that? He's living with the dead because the living won't have him. And so he comes out and he meets Jesus and he's like, please leave me alone. 
don't mess with me. Not that the person doesn't want to be cleansed, but that the demon doesn't want to be cleansed. And Jesus is like, okay, let's, let's talk this out. What is your name? My name is Legion, because there's a whole lot of us in here. This man is a walking condominium complex. Now, Legion, for the military word from the Roman army, means 5,000 soldiers. I hope to the Lord Almighty that there were not 5,000 demons living inside this guy. Can you imagine 5,000 competing voices? Be naked, eat something, go to sleep, stay up late all night. Can you imagine? And this poor man has been bearing this. And so Legion says, there's a whole bunch of us in here. Don't make us go away. And Jesus is like, "Uh uh-huh. And they're like, wait, we got an idea. Let's plan B this. The demons decide, better than, than to leave the earth, let's go into the pigs that are over here. Let's go into the swine herd. Can we do that? Can we go over here? And Jesus is like, okay, go over there. And so they do. And the pigs, they're smarter than people. They were like, we're not having this. No, 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 no. And they just rush down the bankment and they drown themselves, not having it. Now, can you imagine the poor sods that were responsible for that swine of pigs? How are you going to tell your boss that a crazy Jewish man just destroyed the entire economic product? The entire year is gone. Like, they run back and they start telling people, because the first thing you want to do is be like, it wasn't me, it was the Jewish man. They run back and they say, this horrible thing has happened. Never mind the fact that we just cured the guy that's been terrifying us. The guy that we have repeatedly locked up in chains and shackles. He breaks free, takes off his clothes, and lives in the cemetery. Never mind that that guy's now of a solid mind. The pigs are gone. That's the concern. The pigs are gone. And they come back, and the whole town is totally freaking out. Do you know what's freaking them out? The fact that the pigs are gone, and that the guy is now clothed insane. Did you catch that? Clothed insane, pigs are gone, the whole world is ending. Seems like it's a bit of an overreaction, or we're not paying attention to the right part of the story. And so they're like, we need you to leave. You are changing things. None of this was vetted by committee. We did not take a vote on this. This has not been approved. We're not comfortable with this. We don't like what you've done. What have you done to our pigs? Nobody wants a bunch of pigs that are hanging out dead in water. This is not bobbing for swine. Nobody wants this. You need to leave. And Jesus is like, okay. I'll leave. I'll go. You notice he isn't like, woe be it to you. No, he's like, all right, fine. You don't want me here? I don't want to be here. I'll leave. I'll go. Now, granted, this is a man who has repeatedly had to wrestle with people who want too much from him, who harass him to the point that he came to the other side of the lake, and somebody who has a bunch of people that are his people going, stop doing these things. Stop fixing things. It's freaking us out. And so now he's gone to a group of people who didn't know he was coming, and he's fixed something for them. Well, he kind of complicated it with the pig thing. But he fixed the guy. But we're not happy that he fixed the guy. And so they're like, get out. And he goes, okay, fine. So he and the disciples, they get back in the boat. Can you imagine the disciples? Do you know how exhausted they must be? They just thought they were going to die. Then they have this whole thing where they watch the pigs. Can you imagine watching that on the sidelines? And then the whole town comes out. and They're like, get out. And they're like, oh, my gosh, now we're going to get back in the boat? Ugh. Like, I'm sure they were so freaked out over this whole thing. And they get back in the boat. But then the story says that the man says, take me with you. I want to be with you. Can you imagine how long 
He had wanted to be with somebody. He was alone. Not his family, not his friends, not his neighbors, not his community, not his city, not his country. They have abandoned him. And because of his sickness with the demon, he was driven from their presence. And they had basically been like, look, we're comfortable with this. We know he's weird and naked, and we know that he's terrifying with like brute force strength. But at least he's over there, and we're okay with that. But now he's okay, and we're not. And so he says, as you would expect, I want to be with the guy that made me okay. And Jesus says, no, you can't come with me. Can you imagine if the 13th apostle had been a Gentile? That would have changed things a little bit, right? We're here doing the Passover. What are we doing? Explain this to me. Where are we going? Why are we going here? What is this place? What are you doing? Why are you speaking Hebrew? Huh? I mean, could you imagine? It would have totally complicated things. It would have been like having a preschooler there the whole time. What's going on? Where are we going? I like that picture. It would have been a whole other thing. And so Jesus is like, no, you're going to stay with your people, but I do have a task for you. I have something very important that I need you to do. I need you to go and proclaim. Jesus tells him, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Go home and tell what God has done for you. Tell your story is what Jesus says. Tell your story. That's what the Bible is. It's a bunch of stories. Tell your story. Now, we can get all caught up in whether the stories are literally true or mostly true or completely fabricated. You can get into all those kinds of conversations. But the point is that something happened. There was an experience. Someone had such an, a strong emotive reaction that they had to tell the story. Most people don't sit around and try to come up with crazy stories that they can tell unless they're writers and they're trying to you know, get a book published. They don't usually do that. Most people are drawing from their own experience, and even some of those authors, drawing from their own experience in order to tell the story. And Jesus tells him, go tell the story. Tell the story. And he does, because his whole world has changed. He's no longer filled with thousands of thoughts from other people that aren't him, most of which want him to destroy his relationships and harm himself. He's no longer naked and scary and living in a cemetery. His whole life has been transformed. Tell that story. And I started off by talking to you about the stories that we tell when we die. Told a lot of stories. You know, and I know you've been to funerals where it's kind of like a reiteration of the obituary, right? Like, I could have just stood there and read my grandfather's obituary and been like, that was how the funeral went. But that's not how the funeral went. That's how the pastor read, because the pastor didn't really know my grandfather. If he knew my grandfather, he would have been crying. But he didn't know my grandfather. And so some of us got up, and I got to be the family representative, and I had listened to people talk about my grandfather, and I'm like, that is not the man I knew. I mean, he actually put clothes on and went out in public, so of course that's not the man that I knew. But when you talk about my grandfather, the thing that I pointed out was he had picked his scripture. He had picked the scripture, and he even picked the translation he wanted used. He didn't want to hear that in my father's house there were many rooms. He didn't want a room. He wanted a mansion. Read the one that says mansion. He lived in a little itty bitty house on Livesey Road in Deep Creek, Chesapeake. He wanted a mansion. Never mind what the rest of us are getting. My grandfather wanted a mansion. And I was like, that just goes to show you a little bit of who he was to his family. I'm getting a mansion. Can we live in your mansion? No. Get your own mansion. 
But when you think about your stories, right, you're thinking about the way people made you feel. You're, you're thinking about what has God done for you? What has God done for you? That's what, the, that's what the question is. The story is not give me your autobiography. Nobody's standing here being like, will you spend two and a half hours giving me your autobiography? No. And when you go to seminary, they try to teach you how to tell your call story. Your call story is not your autobiography. It's not your life story as a Christian. Your call story is what happened that convinced you that God is calling you to be clergy, so much so that we will be convinced that you should be clergy. That's what a call story is. And you have to tell it. And they try to get you to tell the two-minute version. They try to get you to tell the ten-minute version. And then you got like the whole sermon version, because that's what you want to do. Sit here and listen to me talk about my call story for 20 minutes. No, you don't. Because really, the most interesting part of my life is not my call story. Sorry, Board of Ordained Ministry, it's not. No, actually, what has happened before I accepted the call and what, I ha what has happened since I've accepted the call are much more interesting. You know, before the call, I was going to be an oceanographer. I think I've told you this before. As you can tell, I have the skin tone to be out on the open ocean all the time. And I was going to be an oceanographer. I was passionate about studying sharks. They don't get cancer. I'm very interested in that. And so I had this whole plan of my existence, right? This is how my life is going to go. One day I'm going to be on Shark Week. It's going to be sweet, right? I have all these plans. And then God's like, um, clergy. No. 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 And God's like, okay, before we get too far into this, I think you should go back and read one of the books in the Bible. It's called Job. You can go easy or you can go hard, but you're going. And I was like, no, I'm not. Job is from a land called Ur. And God's like, yes, in the new world, that's called New Jersey. You can go easy or you can go hard, but if the Gord, as, as a Marine once told me, if the Gord Lord wants you, he's going to get you, right? And so that's what's going to happen because I'm not an oceanographer. Still watch Shark Week every year. Not an oceanographer. Not happening. That's not what the story was. But the stories afterwards are even better to me, right? I can tell you stories about being on the Jersey Turnpike and being like, why God? And God was like, do you remember when you told me no? Four hours of traffic. But then there are other stories, right? So this past Friday was the sixth grade semi-formal dance at Henley. And I have a sixth grader who decided that he wanted to be, you know, semi-formal. And so as we were, you know, getting this thing, because of course he tells you on Monday that he wants to go to the dance on Friday, right? And of course he has nothing to wear. Thank God for Amazon. So we ordered clothes. I prayed that they were going to fit. Then I had to buy a belt and get that overnighted. Anyway, we got all of that straightened out. He had clothes. Then he goes, so my friends and I are thinking about carpooling. I was like, what does that mean? You're 12. Who's driving? And he's like, well, maybe, maybe you could do some driving. So then I started contacting the parents, and it worked out. I'm going to drive a group of kids, young adults, and then another's dad is going to pick them all up. Great, perfect, fine. So I'm driving all over the place picking up kids. And then we get to the place where I'm picking up two different kids from two different households in the same neighborhood. So I pull up to the place, and I don't know why I didn't put it together that one of my son's friends has a little brother who is in the preschool. I didn't put it together. Well, I put it together when I got out of the car because I thought, you know, I should probably, like, have FaceTime with adults. You know? <laughs> should probably be like, I'm taking your kids, and I'm not that psycho, you know. 
try to have that moment. And so as I get out of the car, I can see the young man's dad playing with his little brother, and I immediately recognize Alton. And Alton is in two different classes in our school. He's here Monday through Thursday. He's in chapel twice a week. God love him. He puts up with me a lot. And Alton turns around and sees me, and he goes, Pastor Sarah, what are you doing here? Like, happy, what are you doing here? And I was like, hi, Alton. I was like, I'm here to pick up your brother. And he's like, did you come all the way from the preschool? <laughs> no, not exactly, Alton. Fridays are my day off. He goes, yeah, I don't go to school on Friday either. <laughs> I was like, I know, Alton, I know. He's like, but I want to go to school on Friday. I was like, when you get a little older, Alton, can you imagine a kid that's like, I want to go to school five days a week? That's Alton. And so Alton, he's still wrestling. He has moments of lucidity, and then he has moments like the demoniac. He's like, oh, my gosh. He's like laying in the grass. I'm like, Alton, what are you doing? He's like, here's my puppy. I can't believe you're here. Very, very back and forth. And so then he's like, let me go get the other kid. And he starts like taking off across the street. His dad's like, Alton, wait, hold on. We'll go together. And so he comes back, and he's like, can't believe you're here. He's like, is this your car? I was like, yeah, this is my car. It's right here. And I was like, do you want to meet my son? He's like, you have a son? I was like, yeah, okay. So then I open up the car, and Luke's sitting there with, you know, the other kids. And I was like, this is my son, Luke. And he's like, like, freaking out about it. And I was like, okay, okay, we're going to shut the door now. Luke, shut the door. Alton's freaking out. Shut the door. Can't wrap his head around the fact that I have a kid. So we get through all that, and he's like, I'm going to see you next week. And I was like, yes, I'm going to see you next week, Alton. We will see each other again. And I got in the car, and I'm chuckling about it. And I thought, why isn't everybody that happy to see me? <laughs> like, that's a story. Like, Alton was like, oh, my gosh, it's Pastor Sarah. You know that's the first thing he's going to say when he shows up for school on Monday. Yes, he will. Miss David's going to hear all about that on Monday. Pastor Sarah came to my house. I showed her my truck and my dog. I showed her things. And that experience, that level of emotion is what makes the story, right? I mean, I wish I could show you Alton. I'm not going to throw myself down on the ground. He got like slayed in the spirit at one point. It was very cute. But it was one of those moments where you're like, that, that is, I mean, that's awesome. When was the last time somebody got that excited about seeing you? That's not related to you. That's pretty exciting. I was like, look at that. My kid's like, yeah, 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 drive us to the school. But that is the story of the church, right? The story of the church and the story of the people in the church is those experiences, that emotion, trying to tell your story. And our kids are really good at telling you stories. Sometimes I can't follow what's going on. After the 9 o'clock service, I was in the narthex, and another one of our preschool families was here. And to the two older children came out, and we're like, there was a giant blue ant, and it was like on his foot. And he couldn't put his foot down, so now he's like hopping. He's like, I couldn't put my foot down. I just did that in heels, by the way. I, he's like, I couldn't put my foot down, and then it was gone, and it's okay. I was like, did it bite anybody? They're like, no, we left it in the pew. Great, okay, it's in the pew. Don't worry, I checked, it's gone. But we, I was like, one of these moments, I'm trying to follow it. I'm like, what is the point of this story? And the point of the story was, we had an experience. That was the point of the story. We came to your church and we had an experience. And we're all like excited about it. Terrifying, but exciting. That's your story, right? Your story is what makes you feel something. It's what makes somebody else feel something. And that's what God has been giving us. God has been giving us these experiences and these encounters so that we could feel something and share that. Facts are facts. 
Just because you're right and factual doesn't make you interesting. I've been to too many physics classes to believe that. It's not. It's about the emotion and the tie and the experiences that you're sharing. Those are the things that are exciting. You'll notice in the story that Jesus does awesome stuff, but it's the emotions that, are, that, are keep, that keep propelling the story forward. They're afraid. They don't want to go back into the abyss. Jesus is like, okay, what do you want to do now? They're like, let's try the pigs. And then the swine herds are like, ah! And then the whole people come out and they're like, ah! Right? It's like the story. The story is exciting. My siblings in Christ, your story is exciting. Your story is exciting. You just have to figure out how to tell your story. Right? And maybe, maybe that seminary rule was right. Have a two-minute version, a 10-minute version, and if you're feeling especially feisty, a 20-minute. Right? That's like a cocktail hour or something, right? Whatever you got to do, but you got to learn to tell your story. And you have to figure out what about your story is worth telling. Don't make it your obituary. Don't tell your obituary. Really quickly in my ministry, because I had so many homebound members who were, you know, our most vintage, our most seasoned people in the church, they would pass away. They had become homebound. Sometimes they were incapacitated at home. And then I would end up doing their funerals. And very quickly, you learn that some people's stories are more difficult to talk about in public than other people's, right? Have you ever been to a funeral where they make out the dead person to be like they were a saint? And you're like, she didn't know Aunt Mary. That was not Aunt Mary. I mean, you don't want to make the person into Pontius Pilate, but you also don't want to pretend like they are the Virgin Mary, right? You don't want to do that. You've got to try to figure out some way of talking about people. So you get really creative with your words, right? This person was very feisty, right? This person was a little salty. You find out new ways to talk about people. In fact, I've had people that told me that they came to the funeral just to see how I was going to talk about that person. I was like, this is not a game. This is not a game. But yeah, what you are going to say, the story you're going to tell about the person is important. And the best eulogies convey how the person made you feel. How did they make you feel? Did their smile light up the room? Did they continually embrace children throughout their life? Were they the kind of person that would always be with those who are suffering, and if you knew you had a bad day, you knew you could talk to him? The story, how they made you feel, that's your legacy. Your legacy isn't that you were in the Marines for three years. That is not your legacy. Your legacy is how you make people feel and the stories that you tell them that then become part of their stories because you all have been alive long enough to know that your stories start to overlap. That story that I told about Alton was not just about me and Alton. My son was there. He has a whole different take on it. The other kids were there. Alton's parents, it took them a minute too. They were like, you're Pastor Sarah. I'm like, yes, I know. I'm in flats. It's disconcerting. I get it. And I'm in your house, and that's kind of weird too. And so trying to tell a story is about trying to connect with people on a different level. It's about trying to make them understand why God is important. And if you've ever had to deal with an atheist, you know they're like, let's talk about the fact that a committee put this together. Okay, so that may not be all true. Okay, so, well, we can talk about the fact that certain stories in here are duplicates from older religions and older cultures. 
Okay. So, well, doesn't that make you question whether or not God is real? Oh, no. No, 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 no. See, that's your big problem. I know God is real. I have countless experiences. You want to know how God is real? Make God angry. You'll find out real quick, God real. Real quick, God is real. But you know what? As angry as I have repeatedly made God the Father, there were all these times afterwards where I'm like really upset with myself. I'm actually really upset with God the Father, but then God the Son comes to me and goes, you know what? It's going to be okay. Because my grace is enough for you. It's going to be okay because I have healed people who have been sick. I have righted people who were in the wrong I have forgiven people that nobody else would forgive. I have fed people, so you don't even have to worry about that. I will make sure that you are going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then God the Holy Spirit comes and goes, you know what? That's your story. Let's tell your story. Tell how God has done this for you. God forgave you. You told God no. You were obnoxious about telling God no. People haven't been that obnoxious to God since Jonah and God still loves you. That is the story, right? That's the story. And you'll notice that sometimes when you start to tell that story, and then someone else tells you their story, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's like this whole thing where they're like almost connected, like they almost touch. How is that possible? Have you been to New Jersey? No. For some people, that place of New Jersey is Oklahoma. For other people, it's Northern Virginia. But we can all tell the story about that place that you always had to go to, but you didn't want to go there, and you hope you never go back again. And then you find out next month you got to go back. That, that is our story. And those stories resonate. And the whole world is about telling stories. News is stories. The newspaper, magazines, blogs, all of that are stories. What story do you want to tell? People are happy to tell stories that are depressing. People are happy to tell stories that are supposed to make you afraid and angry. That's what the news story was about Jesus. This Jewish Messiah guy showed up and killed all of our pigs and then changed a guy and didn't even ask us if we wanted Jesus to do that. That's a story they told. But the story the guy told was, I'm the guy. For how many days, weeks, months, years... Was I sick? And nobody tried to fix me. You just tried to contain me. You didn't try to help me. You didn't try to love me. You didn't try to clothe me. You just tried to shackle me so that I didn't make you any more uncomfortable. But then this guy who has nothing that he owes me shows up and sets me free. And you're more worried about your swine then you are a human being. His story is the one that lasted. His story is the one that is told in multiple gospel accounts. His story is the one that really matters because it's the one that touched people. Now the canon is closed. We're not going to have any more committee meetings and decide to add on to the book. When you put Revelation at the end, you kind of seal that because it's like, don't add to this book. And you're like, okay, not adding to the book. Right? You're done. The book is closed. Oral scripture continues. There are gospel accounts. There's at least 50 different gospel accounts sitting in here right now. You can tell your story. But don't tell the story that you think people want to hear. 
Don't tell the story that you think that you should sanitize. Tell the story that breaks your heart and then mends it. Tell the story that proclaims what God has done. When I didn't think that I could be loved anymore, God told me that I am beloved and that I still need to be on this earth. When I didn't think that anyone could ever forgive me for the things that I have done, God reminded me that I am precious of sacred worth, worth dying for and worth saving for all time. Tell that story in your words with your experience. And it takes practice. You don't just get up and tell the story. It takes practice. I had three years of seminary. It takes practice. But what's more important is that there are far more of you than there are of clergy. And your stories are important stories. Your stories are the stories of the church. You are the church. Clergy come and go. But the body of Christ that is Crozet endures. And your stories matter. And if somebody is to figure out for themselves that they too are a beloved child of God, they too are of sacred worth, they too can be forgiven, loved, and free, then they need to hear it from you. Or they're not going to listen to it from me. After all, I get paid to say that stuff, right? In a world that likes to tell of the jadedness of ordained clergy, your story means even more than ever. So tell your story. Practice with each other. Tell your story. Practice in someone else. Let me tell you my story. Time me. Two minutes. Go. Practice your story. And then be so bold as to ask, how does it make you feel when I tell you what Jesus did for me? Does it make you think that Jesus could do something for you too? Or maybe, does it make you realize, Jesus already has. May your stories give you that power, that courage and may they lay the foundation for the work of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ for the next generation and the next generation. That is your power. And God gave you the Holy Spirit so that you would have no fear. So do not be afraid. For lo, God is with you to the end of days. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.